Each week we've said this series is about the notion that sometimes an entire life might be described by one word. Each week we've looked at some of the apostles, and we're going to continue doing that. We're going to finish the series out that way. One big difference, the apostle we're going to look at today, he was not one of the original 12. In fact, he started his career out as an individual that tried to exterminate and extinguish the existence of the church, the followers of Jesus. But then he was supernaturally confronted by the risen Christ, and he becomes the greatest apostle of them all, and his name is the apostle Paul. And I think that if he were to give his uh, life one word, it would have been this word joy. And I think in a moment you'll, you'll see why I say that. Now, let's just start with what, what does this word mean to us? When you hear the word joy, I wonder what comes to mind. Here's Webster's Dictionary. It says, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. So, it's an emotion, and it's the result of kind of a circumstantial positive outcome. You know, we're getting something we want. Now, that would mean that joy is kind of like this gadget. It's a thermometer. It tells you, you know, if I have a lot of joy, you know, I'm going to show it. I'm going to be very, you know, cheerful and outgoing. But, but if I don't have much joy, that thermometer that went away way too soon, it... it it won't show as much, but that's all right. We don't care. <laughs> um, but it's just reflecting what is going on within. That seems to be the dictionary definition. Now, what if, what if it's impossible for a secular dictionary to define the word joy? I mean, I mean what, if the, what if the word joy is absolutely, entirely spiritual in nature? What if the word joy is something that comes directly from the creator of the universe? What if joy is something that cannot be understood, cannot be un or experienced in the way that it was meant unless an individual is rightly connected to their creator and lets the creator define what the word originally meant. What, what if it's nothing like a thermometer? A thermometer just tells you how hot or how cold something is. That's kind of the dictionary definition. What if instead the divine meaning of the word joy is more like this device? And somebody tell me what it is? And what's the big difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? The thermostat controls the temperature. The thermometer just reports the temperature. When you go to the heart of what this word means, the way it's used in secular society today is not the way that it was originally intended. It is meant to be a thermostatic condition in the soul of an individual that has rightly connected to their creator, who has been reconciled to their creator, Christ, in a trusting relationship. And a result of that trust in Christ, they are now following him fully. They are following him freely, and they intend to follow him forever. That's what it means to be a Christian. And nothing less than that is what it means to be a Christian. And it's only when one is rightly connected to their creator, returned to him in trust, and now following him fully, freely, and forever, that a person can even have the beginning capacities to experience this phenomenon that the Scripture talks about called joy. And joy is not just an emotional report. Joy is a regulatory condition that occurs inside the soul of the person 
rightly connected to their creator. Now we're going to turn to a book in the Bible where this apostle that I mentioned, Paul, he speaks a lot about joy. So go ahead and turn, if you don't mind, to page 1217 in those Bibles that are near you on the chair. Page 1217, and you'll be looking at the book of Philippians, chapter 1, and I'm going to give you a little background as you turn there. You're going to see in a verse or two but about this, but when Paul writes this book, he is in prison. Uh, he's been following Jesus at this point for about 27 years. He has been in multiple imprisonments, but at this point, he's in that Acts chapter 28, verse 30 through 31 imprisonment. He was there for about two years in prison in Rome, and he didn't know which way it was going to go. He didn't know if he was going to be executed or released. It was uncertain. He was hopeful, but he was not certain. So that's his condition when he writes this book. Now, the book is, is just four chapters. But in the four chapters, 14 times the word joy or rejoice or rejoicing is used. It just keeps coming up. And what you find is that this joy, this rejoicing that Paul talks about, it's something that appears to be independent of external circumstances. It, it seems to almost be in spite of external circumstances at times. Now, to just get you started... To give you a feel for how it's used, if you're in page, uh, actually that page number is wrong, I'm sorry. It should be 1323. Is that where you already were, page 1323? Man, I'm sorry, I don't know how that happened. Um, look at chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to really enter in, uh, center in on verse 4. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So he's writing to the Philippians. He had planted this church 12 years earlier. Now he's writing them a letter back. Verse 4, I always pray with, what is the word? Joy. Joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So he has joy when he remembers that these individuals are living as followers of Christ. They have been helpful in spreading the gospel. Look at his condition, verse 13. He says, the whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in what? Prison. Prison. How, are, they, are you guys the only ones reading? Are y all, y all, you got that page number? Thir I know I goofed you up. It was 1323. Everybody got that page number? Okay, so let's say it loud. He says, the whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I'm in? Prison. Okay, now I know you're with me. I feel better. For the sake of Christ. So this is his condition. Look, if you would, at verse 18. He says, he's talking about individuals that are preaching Christ, but not necessarily from good motives. He says, what's the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed. And in this I, what is the word? Rejoice. Rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to, what's the word? Rejoice. Rejoice. So now he's... Even though people are trying to cause him trouble by proclaiming Christ, he doesn't care as long as Christ gets proclaimed. Look down at verse 25. Now, this is where, if you would read the earlier verses, he's saying that I, I, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He says in verse 25, And since I'm sure of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith. Flip a page to chapter 2. Look at verse 2. Paul says, complete my, what's the word? Joy. joy. There they go. It's only this group again. Man, you got, I, I lost with that, y'all. Did I go too fast? <laughs> complete my joy. Oh, man, that feels good. 
And be of the same mind by having the same love. So he, he's saying he derives joy when the, the body of Jesus, the, the fellow believers are united. Look, if you would, in verse chapter 2, verse 17, he says, But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, meaning that even if he were to die, he wasn't sure. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and what? Rejoice, Rejoice together with all of you. And in the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice. rejoice. Paul's saying, look, even if I do get killed, even if the Romans kill me, it's okay. This is what I meant my life to be, a sacrifice to Jesus. And so if this is the end of my developmental journey, so be it. He's saying, don't, don't shed any tears for me, rejoice. It's okay. So you kind of get the feel for this thing. I'm going to show you uh, just one other place. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. Because here he just sort of pulls it all out. He says, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Always. And again, I say what? Rejoice. rejoice. So it must be possible to rejoice or have joy in the Lord always. So joy is obviously not just the, the reaction to circumstances that move that thermometer, that emotional thermometer in us. It has to be a thermostat that can control that thermometer, that interior condition of our soul, regardless of our circumstances, because he says it's something you can do. You can choose to rejoice always. Now, I know it's a common kind of religious cliche these days to just say things like, I choose joy. No matter what, I just choose joy. But frankly, that's not exactly biblical either. You can't just choose joy. And I'll, I'll dig into that as, as we go on. That, that's kind of like saying, I just choose to be optimistic. Now, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. It's better to be optimistic than to be pessimistic, you know, but that's not what the Scripture means. And when we just say, I just choose joy, that, that's not necessarily what Scripture is talking about with joy because joy is an interior condition. It can't exactly be chosen. Uh, an optimistic evaluation of things can, and that's not a bad thing to have. So let's examine this thing and let's ask ourselves, what exactly is it? What are we talking about? If it's something that's divine in its origin and can only be understood and experienced when you're rightly reconciled to your creator, well, then let's look at this thing a little more deeply. Way back in the Old Testament, David, the psalmist, he spoke about it in Psalm 1611. He says, he's speaking to God. He's in a state of prayer. He says, you will show me, you meaning God, you will show me the path that leads to life. Your presence fills me with what? Your presence. He couldn't see God, but he was in the presence of God when he prayed, and he knew that God was omnipresent, meaning present everywhere all the time. He says, your presence fills me with joy and brings me pleasure forever. So the presence of God is a critical component to this thing called joy. You can't have joy if you're not living in the awareness of God's presence. Now, God is present all the time. I hear people, worship people especially, say funny things like, oh, man, the pre you really feel the presence of God. We brought the presence of God. No, 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 God is always present. He's present whether you and I know it, feel it, think about it or not. He's always present. But when we make our ourselves aware of his presence we can start living in his presence and we are meant as followers of Jesus to live in the presence of God because it is the presence of God that influences modifies develops our spirits and our souls 
We, we are relational beings. It says in Scripture, we were made by Christ and for Christ, and apart from him, nothing coheres. You're never really going to be your truest self. You're never going to be fully human and fully alive until you learn to live in the presence of Christ, to be aware of his presence all through your day. I mean, there's going to be times your, your concentration is going to be focused on something else, but trust me on this one. Even when your concentration is most focused, you can develop your spirit to the place where you're aware of the presence of Christ. And it modifies my spirit. It modifies my soul. It changes my character. It'll change your character. That's the way we were meant to live. And, and it's a key component of joy. You can't have joy without an awareness of the presence of God. Listen to this from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15, 16. Jeremiah says, when your words turned up, I feasted on them, and they became my what? Joy. joy. The word of God. Jeremiah says, when, when I got your word, I just, I just ate it up. I took it in. I internalized it. I soaked my inward being in your word, the delight of my heart, because I belong to you, Lord, God of heavenly forces. It became my joy. What if the truth is our joy quotient, our joy factor will be dependent upon, not, not, not will be, it absolutely is dependent upon, how much of God's word we nourish our souls on regularly. How many of you guys just eat one once a week? Can I see your hands? You just eat one, one meal a week? How many of you eat more than once a week? Can I see your hands? How many of you get a little bit hungry? Just a little bit hungry every day. Can I see your hands? The word of God is our spiritual nourishment and as we develop the habit of feeding ourselves on it regularly, feasting on it, it becomes a stable of this condition called joy. Little word, little joy. Much word, much joy. Do I dare? Do I dare? You want me to dare? Not trying to make anybody feel bad. How many of you regularly study God's Word for yourself? I mean, not, not, not a week goes by that you're not in the Word of God, and, and you're, not just, you're just not reading it. You're, you're studying it. Can I see your hands? You will have the likelihood of more joy. Some of you are sitting there saying, well, I, I want to study it, but I don't know how to study it. How many feel like that? You say, man, I wish I did know how to study it. Go ahead. It's okay. Put your hand up. Did you know we have a guide, a little study guide, a little pamphlet that tells you exactly how to do that, how to study the Word of God for yourself? God wants people to understand His Word and to be able to feed ourselves on His Word. You must learn to do that if you're going to grow strong, mature, and if you're going to be a larger partaker of this condition called joy. There's another verse in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 8.10, it says, the joy that the Lord gives will do what? Make you strong. So if we ask this question, why does joy matter? Why is it important? Because the joy that comes from God, it is from God. It cannot be had apart from Christ. This joy makes you, makes me, makes anyone that takes it in strong. What does it mean to be strong? Think thermostat. The thermostat controls the temperature. It might be 
20 degrees outside, but you can keep it toasty in your house if you want to, as long as you can pay those bills <laughs> or keep throwing those wood, wood blocks in there. It might be 95 degrees outside, but if you want it easy breezy in your house and if you can pay that bill, you can turn that AC down, right? And, and you can keep it. Listen, joy gives us strength because it allows us to, some of you really need to hear this. This might be the whole reason God brought you here today. How many of you admit it? I'm an emotional person. I'm, I'm really emotional, Randy. I'm emotional. Now, we're all emotional people. Don't get me wrong. But some of us are really emotional. We're emotionally driven, emotionally governed. Joy is meant to be the thermostat so that you and I can modulate, regulate, govern control our emotions so that they don't go too crazy high nor sink too dangerously low. Joy keeps it balanced, keeps our emotions balanced. Joy is spirit-given climate control for our inside so that when things are bad and we are feeling sad, we don't go way down into depression. And when things are going too easy, breezy, wonderful, good, we don't get giddy, stupid, and do dumb things. It keeps us balanced. It gives us strength for inner control and healthy balance. So this gives us a little bit to understand about joy. Now, I want to take it in a different direction because joy, it's not always what you think or what, you know, Webster's Dictionary thinks at least. Listen to this verse from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing, led by the Spirit of God, he says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Just thinking about the day when God's going to fill the universe with his will, the glory of God gave Paul joy. It was a source of joy. But then he goes on. He, goes, he says, not just that, not only that, but we rejoice in our, you tell me the word. Sufferings. No, you don't. <laughs> we complain in our sufferings. Come on, let's be honest, don't we? How many here, you just say, you got me. When I suffer, I complain. I whine and complain. Some of you are like, like this. But people that know you, know you do. <laughs> I think he was telling the truth. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Why would you do something so stupid as that? Why? Knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance. Not for everybody. Some people, when they suffer, turn away from God, turn towards sin, do whatever they can to bring some comfort to ease the pain. But if you stay faithful to God, it produces this thing called endurance, resilience, toughness, mental, emotional, spiritual toughness. So that no matter what the circumstance is, you stand fast. Your character is solidified. But that only happens as you go through the suffering and you stay faithful to God, obedient to his word. Then the endurance develops. It produces endurance. And endurance produces what? Real transformation. Now I'm actually becoming a more Christ-like version of myself. And character produces hope. I start saying, you know, I really am growing. I'm, God's really changing me. This is happening. I'm not that person that I used to be. I'm gaining some God-given self-control in my life. So this joy is something that can coexist with suffering. But let me show you really quickly. I don't know if it's going to be there or there, but I'm going to show you. Here it is. It can also coexist with a lot of unusual externals. Jesus said to rejoice 
His followers are to rejoice when we're persecuted, when people are attacking us, not because we deserve it, but just because we're followers of Jesus. That doesn't feel good, but Jesus says we can still choose to rejoice. Now, in that regard, you can choose joy, but it's still a condition. In 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul said that he rejoiced while he was in sorrow. Now, think of the contrast of that. He's in sorrow, which is a which is a low emotional state but he said he could still simultaneously rejoice in sorrow and the and the rejoicing stopped that sorrow from keeping him to the sinking level and it kind of reg- modulated him he says that we can rejoice and the book or the writer of hebrews said we can rejoice in confiscation of our property the christians were being uh, persecuted and their property. Imagine somebody just bursts through your door, steals all your furniture just because you're a Christian. That's what was happening. And they were learning to rejoice that they were suffering for the sake of Christ. The book of James tells us, it says, we can rejoice in trials, difficulties of all different kinds because once again they work if we stay faithful to develop our character. And then finally in 1 Peter 4, and, and it's beyond this in, in Scripture, but I just wrote these few references, we're to rejoice in sufferings for Christ. In other words, any suffering that we experience just because we are a Christ follower, a Christian, we're, we're told to rejoice. So this rejoicing and this joy can coexist in circumstances and conditions that are not very pleasant. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know in a group like this, I guarantee you that some of you are here today, and you're... You're in a sad place. Some of you are here today and your heart may be shredded, may be broken. Some of you are scared. Some of you are worried. So some of you, you're, you're just, you're wondering if there's ever going to be another day that you feel good again. And, and so this joy can come into your life. It can become a condition that can coexist with those struggles that you are having, and it can, I'm not saying it's going to lighten them entirely, but it can stop them from becoming a control agent in your life. It can give you this, this little bit of positivity that counters the impact, the full impact of the negativity, for want of a better way of putting it. So the question comes inevitably, is like, well, how do you get it? How, do, how can we experience this? I've hinted at it already, that it comes from living in the presence of God and making ourselves aware of His presence. Uh, feasting our souls on his word, but, but there's some, some other ways, key ways. The last night Jesus was with his disciples, the very last night, and it was a crazy, crazy night. You know, Judas betrays him. The disciples, you know, they all abandon him. Peter denies him three times. Jesus has to tell them all this before it happens. He knows what's coming. He washes their feet because they won't wash each other's feet. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. It was, it was a heck of a last night. And Jesus goes through all this knowing that he's going to be crucified in just hours. He knows this. But he says something critical. This is what he said that evening. Here we go. He's trying to prepare his disciples. He had been with them for three and a half years, but now he knows he's going to leave them. He tells them that this night, but they just can't absorb it. So he says, he says look, guys, let, let me put an image in your mind. Let me, let me give you an analogy. I'm the sprouting vine, and you're my branches. A branch is only so good if it's connected to the vine. So he says to his followers, 
As you live in union with me, they knew what that meant. They had lived in union with Jesus for three and a half years. He was the center of their life every day. Everything revolved around him. As you live in union with me as your what? Source. Fruitfulness or effective living will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are what? So one secret, one secret to this joy you're going to see in the follow-up verses here in a minute, it is to stay in union with Jesus. Now the disciples knew exactly what he meant because they had lived with their whole life revolving around him for three and a half years. He knew he was leaving. They couldn't absorb it, but he was telling them the same way you've been living these past three and a half years with me here, now you must learn to live the same way but with me there, meaning back into the eternal heavenly dimension. Not physically present anymore. That's the way we are called to live, in union with Christ. How do we do that? We have to know his word so that we can have his will living inside us and living it out in our daily life. You can't get away from immersion in the word of God, in the truth of God, in the life that God designed us to live. He goes on. He says, the same night, this is the same conversation, same meme. He says, if you keep my commands... You will live in my love. In other words, if it's, it's his commands that are the expression of his love. When we do what he says, we can then experience his love. His commands are for our highest good. He says, if you keep my commands, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. Then he says this. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the what? Joy. The joy that... I experience, mind you, he knows his disciples are going to abandon him. He knows Judas has, Judas has betrayed him. He knows Peter is, Peter's going to deny him three times. He, he's, no, he's, he's had to stop them fighting each other about who's the greatest. It was a miserable evening. And yet he says, the joy that I experience, he knew he was going to the cross in hours. And he's saying, I have joy, guys, I have joy. The joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. Jesus was saying that the joy that was in him, he wanted all of his followers to experience. Obviously, it was a joy that was independent of circumstances because Jesus' circumstances that night were utterly miserable. And the future circumstances that he knew was coming, the brutality, the humiliation that he went through leading up to the cross, and then the agony itself of the cross, and then the mockings while he was on the cross, the fact that he had to stay there helpless, making it look like righteousness was weaker than evil, but he knew that righteousness was superior to evil, and that's why he wouldn't come off the cross to prove to humanity that he's the safest person in the universe, that his love is sacrificially good, and that even though he has all power and all might, he will not unleash it even on those that are crucifying him, mocking him, and spitting at him. And that's meant to tear down all my fear barriers, all my guilt barriers, all my distrust barriers. So here it is. He's saying that in the midst of that, terrible circumstances, terrible future circumstances, he had joy. That means we can, and he said that's what he wanted all of his disciples to experience. But it all starts with staying in union with him, just like a branch must stay connected to its source, to a vine. I'm going to close by telling you a story. And a story is a real up and down roller coaster thing. It's about two missionaries. 
These two guys, they become buddies. They decide they want to go to a certain land. It's a hardcore third world land. They know the language. They've become familiar with the language. So they're pretty prepared as far as mission work goes. They want to take the message of Christ to this, this tough third world area. So they go. They, they make the journey. They get into the country. And before long, they make a few contacts, just oddball contacts with some business people. And the business people happen to be spiritually minded, and they start sharing Christ with them. Now, it's a really pagan, third world, backward land. But these people are spiritually minded, interested. And when they hear the message of what God is, his eternal plan is about and how it centers in Christ, they, they put their trust in Christ. So these two missionaries are exhilarated that early on, they reach a few people for Christ. And these business people say, okay, I tell you what, you need housing. We'll help you with some housing. And missionaries are like, God is in this thing, man. It's going on. Well, as time went on, they became involved in a circumstance. They didn't plan on it. They probably didn't even want it. But there was a, a young girl that was being trafficked, and they wanted to see her set free from this situation. They got involved, and then the traffickers got really angry, the owners of this girl. She had lived in virtual slavedom. And they get angry, and they grab these two missionaries, and they know how corrupt the law is in this land, and they know how brutal it is. They drag them before the authorities, and they say, these foreigners, these foreigners are trying to bring havoc to our country. They're doing this. They're doing this. They trump up all these charges, and they know how brutal, they know how brutal the police are in this country. These police take these two missionaries, and they beat them within an inch of their life throw them into a prison. They're locked hand and foot. And there they languish really on the edge of death. They're beaten that badly. These two missionaries get their minds together and they start praying. They start praying and in the process of praying, they start, they start thanking God that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And then they start singing. They start singing. They start singing joyful, thankful praise to God as they anguish in physical torment. If things weren't bad enough, it gets worse. It gets worse. An earthquake hits this little dungeon, and the whole place gets shaken to pieces, and these two missionaries feel like this is evidently going to be our tomb because the walls are coming down. We're going to die right here in this God-forsaken place. But that's not what happened. Though the walls shook and the prison doors flew open and their chains burst loose, they were still alive. And then they happen to look over and they see the jailer, the jailer who had treated them with such brutality. He's ready to kill himself because he's so afraid of what the, the magistrates will do to him if the prisoners escape. And, and these two missionaries go running toward this brutal jailer and stop him from taking his own life. And the jailer is so shocked. He says, I don't get you guys at all. He says, I've seen men beaten like you before, cry like little children all night long, wail in their pain. And I've seen people beaten like you men before, curse God, curse man, curse breath itself. But I have never, ever in all my years of being a jailer, I've never seen men like you that give thanks to this God of yours for being allowed to suffer in his name and you praise him I don't understand you, and I don't understand your God, but if it's possible for a man like me to be accepted by your God, 
I want to know how. What do I have to do? And these missionaries tell him, you just need to be willing to do what we've done, to put your trust in the creator of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does. And he sneaks them out of the prison compound, takes them to his home, feeds them, washes their wounds, draws his family around the table, urges these missionaries to tell them about Christ. They do. The family turns to Christ. And I just told you the story of how the book of Philippians, how the church in Philippi was actually started. You can read it on your own in Acts chapter 16. I just told you in a modern day way the story of how the church in Philippi was started 12 years earlier. The two missionaries were Paul himself and Silas. And everything that I expounded there That's what happened. It was their joy. Sometimes we feel like, okay, Randy, it's this regulator of my emotions, but it doesn't change my circumstances, so what good is it? What if your joy in the midst of every circumstance in life, what if your joy is such a powerful force that it can open the prison doors of hearts of individuals who have locked their hearts' doors closed to God and to everyone else? What if it's just, they're just waiting for an exhibit of your joy that transcends anything that makes sense, but it's a joy that's connected to the God that you know that they know that they don't know. Joy is a powerful thing. It's a necessary thing. Let me give you four statements about joy. Joy is more of an attitude than an emotion. Let me go on. It's an outlook on life that is meant to stabilize our emotions. It's a thermostat. I see life from God's perspective. Therefore, I know that I'm just here for a short time anyway, and whatever befalls me, it's within the context of God's will, and I'm going to serve him faithfully and maintain joy to the degree that I possibly can. So thirdly, joy is not a choice. That that cliche, that religious cliche, oh, I just choose joy. It's not exactly a choice, but rather a governing set of convictions based on God's revelation. Because God has revealed himself in his word to be sacrificially good. I have convictions that he is good all the time and that he is working out a plan and a purpose that is more than good. And that can stabilize me and give me joy in the midst of even sufferings. And then finally, joy is also a state of being that results when our lives are, what is the word? Aligned to God's design. When I am taking God's word in And changing my behavior to align with it, I find that it's the very secret to my life. It's the secret to what I've been looking for and not finding in umpteen other places. That my highest good, my highest joy, my highest happiness even, it's not the result of circumstances being given to me the way I want them, but rather it's when I become the person, I'm aligning my life with God's will and His word, and I'm becoming the person that God always meant me to be, and I'm doing the things that God always meant me to do, then I find that it's so good to be in my skin, regardless regardless of my circumstances. What's your joy? What's your joy quotient like? What place does joy play in your life? Is it that stabilizing mechanism 
that enables you to stay faithful to God in thick and in thin, in good times and in bad times, to be faithful to him. Now, I started by saying that this joy cannot be had apart from being reconciled with our creator until you and I truly put our trust in Jesus and become his followers. This joy will remain an enigma. It will remain a mystery. It won't make any sense to you. So if you're here and you've never actually, you might be calling yourself Christian. I mean, people all the time call themselves Christians. They're not actually Christians. Let me be really blunt here. If what you're calling being a Christian hasn't resulted in because you trust Christ, you are freely following him because you want to follow him, and you're following him fully. When he says stop doing something, you stop it. When he says start doing something, you start it. And if you don't have it in your mind, I'm going to follow Jesus forever. I don't care if no one else is following. I'm following. Unless that's you that I just described, you are not a Christian. You may have called yourself Christian for decades. Do not kid yourself. When we put our trust in Christ, it's dynamic. It's transformational. It affects every area of our life. It cannot help but to affect every area of our life. I want to do God's will. I want to know his word. I want to feast on it. I want to be obedient to God because I truly trust him. That's being a Christian. More importantly, a Christian is one that wants to be like Jesus, not just wants to go to heaven. Man, everybody wants to go to heaven. But not many people want to be like Jesus. So if you're here and maybe you're discovering for the first time that you thought you were a Christian, but you're really not a Christian, but you want to put your trust in Christ and become his follower, that's the first step if you're ever going to experience joy. And I want all of you. I want you to have Jesus' joy in its fullness. I want you to march through this life courageous, dignified, faithful, loving, gentle, kind, compassionate, beautiful servants of God. And I see that in so many of you, and I want to see it in all of our lives. It's the legacy we will be so glad we pulled ourselves away from the current of society and said, I will be the man, the woman that God created me to be. Be that person. Let's pray. Father, may your spirit seal these stirrings in our hearts. I ask in Christ's name. Amen.